0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Great to be here on a Sunday morning with you to worship together. Appreciate some of those new songs. The worship team has really uh, helped me to get into a mode of being able to focus on the Lord this morning. So, hey, as we're starting today, we're continuing this series on spiritual recovery, which we started a few weeks ago. And what is this all about? Well, it's about learning the practices that feed and nourish our souls. When we go through times of stress and strain, we get depleted, we get worn out. And over time, this can be very debilitating. This can be a very difficult place to be spiritually. If we let go long enough, we may even fall into that dreaded state of burnout. And burnout is an awful place to be spiritually. It can take years for someone to recover from burnout, if at all. So we are trying to talk about practices that we can do to get into in life to avoid those tendencies and to practice good recovery. Now, the question is, how do we do it? How do we do it well? Well, we know for our objects in life, like our phones, we plug it in at the end of the day. That's how we replenish and recover energy for our phones. If we work out hard, we know we need time to rest, we need good nutrients, we need protein to recover. The question is, what do you do for your soul when you're depleted, when you feel tired, when you're worn out? Do you have an idea of how that functions well? That's what the series is all about, and we're trying to get into the details, the particulars of how this all works. Now, to focus very uh, on what Jesus has said, Jesus has made this promise that anyone who is thirsty can come to him and drink, and whoever believes in him, well, rivers of living water will come forth in their souls. This is an amazing promise from Jesus. There's a resource within you and within me that can help overcome the trials and the stress and the strain that we face. So, today we're going to be talking about recentering purpose. And purpose in our lives, recentering the aspects of purpose in our lives, has a very strong way of dealing with stress and fear and anxiety. And we're going to be talking about that throughout the day. So, we're going to start off by taking a closer look at Scripture. We're going to take a moment, we'll take a look at a moment when Jesus is basically pulled in a hundred different directions. We'll take a look at how he dealt with that stress and related to some of our context today. We'll also talk about how Jesus dealt with this by recentering purpose. And we'll talk about some of the ways and practices that we can enter into today in order to mitigate that stress and that strain. So, recentering purpose. Let's dive into scripture this morning and get right into this story. So, Mark chapter 1 gives us a little glimpse into what Jesus had to deal with when he first entered his public ministry. As he was traveling throughout the ancient Near East, word quickly spread because tons of people were just floored about what he could do, how he was preaching about the kingdom of God, how he was casting out demons, he was healing people who were sick, he was healing people who were injured. And here's a description Mark gives us. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So they, Jesus, and the disciples. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because he knew who he was. So this introductory look at Jesus is amazing. There's this moment as he's going through this town that word begins to spread rapidly. And that evening while he's in the town, everyone comes out to visit him. The whole town comes to Jesus. Friends tell friends, family members share with other family members. You know, it's mass texts go out. Jesus is in town. This guy can heal. He can cast out diseases. He can deliver our loved ones from Evil presence. This is amazing. But when I read this, I must admit, I have my own sense of <laughs> stress that follows. Now, it doesn't say that Jesus was overwhelmed by stress at all in this situation. But I imagine myself, if I were a disciple and Jesus was going through this and the whole town showed up at the front door, I would have been overwhelmed. And I think a question comes out to you, a question that this text presents. Have you ever been flooded with a world of cares? Have you ever been overwhelmed with responsibilities? I think in these days and these times when we go through so many different things, regarding the pandemic, or looking at the news, and all the different changes that our lives are forced to adapt to, it can feel very overwhelming. It can feel like too much. It can feel very much like the whole town has showed up at your door asking and demanding something. Somebody wants something from you all the time. Back when I first started ministry here in Houston, I was hired on as a youth pastor at a local church, West Houston Chinese Church, not very far from here. And one of the interesting dynamics that happened to me was this huge list of things to do when I first got here. And then within several weeks, as I was learning to get my feet under me in this new work role, just about every volunteer quit. So, not a very good situation. And it wasn't just because I was on staff, it was the fact that some of these volunteers had been there for a long time, And they thought, well, hey, someone's been hired for the job. We can take a break. Ted's got it. So that was awful. So it was me and all the 6th through 12th graders in a youth service on Sunday mornings and just one volunteer who usually made it, but sometimes she had other things to do too. So there were some really difficult Sundays for me. So a typical Sunday, a couple months into this, would look like this. I would teach Sunday school in the morning. I would go over to the youth service, pick up a guitar, and yes, I did play guitar. I would help the youth band get the music together. We would play, we would lead worship, put down the guitar, pick up my Bible, preach a message to the youth, put down my Bible, pick up the guitar, lead another song do some announcements, and then I'm often running to uh, do a number of different meetings, trying to recruit the volunteers that I lost, and trying to manage my day. So this was stressful for me. Now, one day, several months into this, I ran down to get a lunch. After all that craziness in the morning, I went down to the church kitchen, grabbed a lunchbox, and a friend stopped me. And she began talking to me and asking for something. But I was overwhelmed to the point where all I could see when I looked at her was her mouth moving. Intellectually, I could not understand a word that was coming out of her her mouth. I just sat and I stared at her and I said, excuse me, I think I have to go. (laughs) It was the moment that kind of like tipped the scales. I had no more capacity for another person to ask me for something, to do something, or to try something else. It was, I don't know, I had to apologize to her later, and she was totally fine with it. But but on my end, I realized I had reached my max. And I share that with you today because some of us may feel like we've hit the max. We've been to that point, in this whole pandemic or this work situation that we've been in or in a relationship with that we're in, or maybe our family life has taken a twist and a turn that we didn't expect, and suddenly you have reached your max. There's something that can develop when this type of anxiety lasts for a while. That's why what we might call acute anxiety, a very stressful situation. And that was only one day, work for me. But imagine this lasting for weeks, for months, or maybe a couple of years. What can happen and what can develop is a state of chronic anxiety. And the difference between maybe acute anxiety and chronic anxiety is a sense that even after some of those stressors go away, the things that might cause us to stress, like the work or the relationship, or the issue, when those things begin to fade, we still react. We still feel anxious. And our minds run to whatever next fear there might be that surfaces in our world. We begin to react to those things. The bad thing for our spiritual lives is this. When we live in chronic anxiety, fear becomes our lord rather than Jesus. Fear begins to push out the good things within our souls, like faith, and hope, and love, and fear becomes that dominant feature within ourselves, within our souls. So, I wanna take a moment to explain a little bit more of how this could work in the groups in which you live, like a church, or a family, or your work environment, Edwin Friedman was a rabbi, a family counselor, and a leadership coach, and he wrote this book called Failure of Never actually it was written posthumously, but he was a very astute student of anxiety and how it impacted culture and systems. And he writes about the characteristics of chronically anxious families. Now I know it says families, but in his book he extrapolates this to all types of groups. It's just his focus as a family therapist or counselor was families but you'll see in just a minute this applies to a variety of different things first of all the first characteristic of chronically anxious families is reactivity and what is reactivity well we all react to stimulus and distress in our lives so stress is the thing that is like the external stimulus But our anxiety is our response to that, our feelings of nervousness, our heightened blood pressure and pulse, that's reactivity. Highly stressed out, chronically anxious families have a strong reactivity, meaning that they see all the threats in their lives as external, not internal, but external to them, and they tend to overreact. Something that should cause a little bit of pain causes a lot of pain, a lot of conversation, a lot of dialogue, a lot of energy and focus. This is my one quote, and I forgot to put it on the slide, so I'm going to look it up here. So this comes from Friedman's book. He has a little quote here about reactivity. The emotionally regressed family will stay fixed on its symptoms, and family thinking processes will become stuck on content of specific issues rather than on the emotional process processes that are driving those matters to become issues. The systemic anxiety thus locks everyone into a pessimistic focus on the pathology within the family, and it becomes almost impossible for such systems to reorient themselves the focus on their inherent strengths. Now, you're going to want to email me later if you like the quote because you're not going to actually catch a lot of that. But the whole thing is that when a family is very reactive, it tends to focus on external problems and it forgets everything else. Okay, next. The herd instinct is the next dynamic that happens. So families all have a balance of two different forces. One is individuality and the other is togetherness. Defined and connected at some of the workshops you might have been to here at Access. But togetherness and individuality are both good forces. In the herd instinct, when a family is chronically anxious, the togetherness forces eclipse and take out the individuality forces. And so if you're not for the family or for the group or for the oneness, then you're being selfish. You're being self-centered. You're being prideful. And so in the herd instinct, what will happen in chronically anxious families is the person with the most anxiety, the person who is most ill-tempered, maybe the most dysfunctional, will be the loudest person who gets all the attention while everyone tries to keep the peace and leaves other issues unattended. That's the herd instinct. It tends to go where that one loud person might be screaming out for alarm and everything else gets ignored. That makes a family devolve into the most anxious problem of the day. Third, I'll go a little quicker. Blame displacement. So... An anxious family will tend to blame others for their problems. They won't see it as internal to themselves. They won't know how to fix it, but everything has a reason, and that reason is never internal to the family. It's always external. It's always someone else's problem. It's always you, your problem, you're being selfish, you, and there's no internal reflection there. Number four, the quick-fix mentality. The quick fix mentality is because anxious families have already been, have reached their max, so to speak. They really don't have a lot of energy to look for true solutions. So whatever comes quickly their way that will resolve the tension will be the answer for the day. That's how it goes. It's a quick fix mentality. So a couple weeks ago, I had this terrible toothache. I was struggling with this for about. Yeah, about two weeks before I called the dentist. And during that time, I wasn't sure if it was my sinuses or a bad tooth. So I was taking Claritin, I was taking Flonase, I was taking some other, this regular Advil. I was like, I hope this thing goes away. I was looking for a quick fix. What ended up happening is I needed to go to the dentist to take care of a infected tooth. So, I ended up getting a root canal, which was a serious problem. But none of those quick fixes could have even helped address what was really going on. So, sometimes when pain is there, we just look to the, the first thing that we can to fix the problem. Sometimes, though, the more mature response is to dive deeper and you need the energy and the capacity to do that. All right, final thing poorly defined leadership in chronically anxious families there's poorly defined leadership because whatever a leader might do to try and point the group in a different direction will be pointed out as selfish or prideful or something else because the togetherness forces one to keep the group together when a leader is trying to bring the group to a new place all right that's enough for this first point though We talked about Jesus and this crazy moment of stress when the whole town showed up at the front door. We can kind of understand some of this, but how do we deal with it? What do we do? Dealing with anxiety by recentering purpose. And this is where Jesus takes us next. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He let the... He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. There's two things I want you to notice. Know, they are marked in blue here in this text. First of all, that Jesus extracted himself from the situation by going to a solitary place. Very unusual thing to do when the whole town has showed up at the doorstep and Jesus needs to leave the situation. Number two, he's able to calmly articulate his purpose that is why i have come so i can preach to other villages too oops one more point here the niv kind of adds this is interpretive but it states what is kind of obvious what everyone's thinking it has it has a little exclamation mark right there in verse 37 everyone is looking for you this is simon it's kind of an anxious statement. It's interpretive, of course, because in the original Greek, there's not all of that put there. But I think it makes sense to go there because I think that was the feeling of the moment. Everyone came to him with a need. And he wasn't there to meet all that town's needs. There was a whole region that needed to know about the kingdom of God. So let's talk about these two things first of all, solitude. A little quick explanation here for what solitude is. Solitude is far more than just being alone. It is a choice to eliminate the voices of hurry in your life so that you can focus on the deeper things, on deeper things with God. So some of you might go to see counselors or do some introspection work. You may have heard the phrase, never go scuba diving alone. It's the whole idea of don't go introspecting with yourself alone because it can be a very difficult process where you get lost within your own thoughts. Likewise, we invite God into our inner space so we don't get lost. Solitude, even though it says, you know, it's almost like being alone, It's different than being alone and feeling lonely about it. It is an intentional choice to go there with God to work on some of the deeper things in our life. Now, some of you may be really turned off by this whole notion of going solo. And I will be the first to admit, when I first heard of the idea of taking time for solitude, I really kind of balked at the idea. I didn't like it. Early on when Access was started, um, great good friend, Dave Wang, had, had a retreat of silence. And some of you might have been here for it. It was a soul care retreat, our very first one. And during this retreat, he was going to have time for solitude for all the different members to basically commune with God. He gave us some questions, et cetera, And he invited me. He said, hey, Ted, do you want to do this? And (laughs) my instinct was, no way. Why would I want to do this? You know, I'm so busy church planting right now. And if I'm not busy with church work, which I was doing every single night of the week, I was doing family stuff. So it was important for me. These were my priorities. Why would I go and spend the whole day by myself? It didn't make sense. so I signed up for a half day. (laughs) I thought I could manage that. Maybe four hours is good enough. But unexpected to me, within that four hours, I met God in prayer. I felt like I had been re-centered. I felt like God had really spoken to me and given me a real sense of peace and calm and direction to go the next step. That was completely unexpected. Now, I did leave at four hours. I didn't stay the entire eight because that was too much for me. But I want you just to consider that. Some of you may already be feeling a little lonely and isolated right now, because it's been this pandemic and we've been isolating ourselves. And you're thinking, how in the world will this help me? And I wanna say, this is not about you intentionally being more lonely. It is about going to God with those thoughts and asking him to dive in deep with you. Okay, number two, articulating purpose. You see, this is what Jesus did. And this is the powerful moment in which he came back to his disciples and said, I got to go to other towns because that's why I have come. Very peacefully, very calmly, he was able to answer those who were asking him for more stuff and Jesus said it's time to go on calmly and firmly stating our purpose gives us a way to stand apart from the voices that tell us that we should do something or how we must act in the moment Jesus recentered his purpose through solitude he stated his purpose and then he pursued he pursued his kingdom work now what does this mean for you and me? Well, quick example you know, over the years of being a dad, I have on occasion had these opportunities to have difficult conversations with my two daughters. And especially during the teenage years, which they're still in, um, I've had to sometimes bring up uncomfortable topics and ask hard questions. And once in a while, they would ask me, well, you know, that's, that's kind of awkward, or that's, that's a weird question, Dad. But I've had to come back to them and reaffirm my purpose. I'm your dad. This is my job. God gave me this purpose to be in your life, to ask you these things. And it may be uncomfortable, it may be weird for the next 15 minutes I ask you about this relationship or about this situation or this scenario, But that's why I am here. I'm not here to be, well, I am here to be buddy-buddy for a lot of things in life, but I'm not here only for that. My purpose is to protect you. My purpose is to lead you to God. And so these uncomfortable moments have been refocused as I've been able to articulate purpose. I share that with you because... You may be facing some of these scenarios in your own life. Whether it might be parenting, might be at work, might be some other situation, another relationship that you're in, something else that's going on. But if you can recenter yourself around purpose, the weirdest thing happens. It's like in the midst of the storm and the strain and the stress and the anxiety, it gives you some clear marching orders. It gives you a sense of direction. So, the real question is, how do we do it? How do we get into this sense of centeredness around purpose? I want to suggest a few things here. We're not going to practice it because recentering purpose is going to take longer than maybe a couple minutes of prayer today. But these are much more practical in nature as we wrap things up. First of all, solitude is important. And I would say start small if you're going to practice solitude. So even a four-hour chunk might be pretty undoable in your life right now. But maybe it's 20 minutes once a week. I'm going to make an appointment with God. We're going to sit and we're going to have prayer. We're going to go for these questions. We're going to do this just once a week. And that's all you can do. That's okay. Could be in the morning. Could be in the evening. I recommend mornings That helps for me, but some of you are more evening type people, but it does center your day. So that's why I do like mornings. Find a mode that allows you to think. Uh, One of my early spiritual directors used to say that a lot of spiritual um, literature, spiritual formation literature was written by introverts. That helps some of us. It is frustrating for others of us. And so I used to say, if you have a better time just walking and praying, go and do that. If you have a better time meeting God by going outdoors, driving somewhere, and bringing your camera, do that. Do what helps you to think and to pray with God. So I suggest walking or sitting. Some of you like music. Some of you don't. Some of you like coffee. Some of you don't. So what works for you to get into that mode where you can bring yourself fully before God and do that. Finally, let people know you need time for solitude or to be alone. If you're talking with young ones, say, hey, dad needs like 10 minutes of silence this morning. Can we all work on that together? Or, hey, dad needs this evening to, to do this, that, and the other thing. It's only once a week or something, but if you let people know, it'll be a little bit more workable in your life if you just tell people that. Okay. Now on to purpose. And these are some of the deeper things. So solitude gets us into that mode. Purpose seeking is where we need to start do the digging. First of all, start with scripture. For sure, you will not find your purpose outside of scripture scripture will need to give you your guardrails it'll give you sort of like the direction it'll give you the 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 field that you're playing on you want to you won't go outside of these things right so jesus says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness our purpose will never be beyond god's kingdom so we know that's a guardrail again jesus says the most important commandments are this to love god and love neighbor We'll never escape those things. These are good, and they should be upheld. So love will always be central to your recentering of purpose. And then Jesus tells us when he was leaving, make disciples of all nations. There's a missional component to your sense of purpose. You are meant to share this love of God with others. Okay, so start with scripture, and then here are some more specifics. Think about your roles. What are my most significant relationship roles? Maybe you're a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a leader, team member, partner, neighbor. You fill in the blank because it's you. List those things out and then ask yourselves these questions. God, how do you want me to be present in this role? And this is what you will do in solitude with your journal or your prayer or your coffee or your time walking. You're going with this question, God, how do you want me to show up in this relationship? God, what value do you want me to bring to the people around me? Faith, hope, and love, you can't go wrong with those things. Are there other things? God, what do you want me to do? Okay, besides roles, What work has God given me to do? And then just listed off a number of different work scenarios. Maybe you're a student, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a parent, maybe you're an engineer. I'm not talking about just what you get paid for It's what, what do you put your hands to? What do you do with your energy and your time? How do you spend your labor? How do you, how do you labor? So followable questions, God, how do you want me to work? God what values do you want me to bring same things As we wrap up today I hope these things are very helpful for you. This was probably a little bit more practical than I am sometimes on Sundays it's very nitty-gritty but I want you to be able to get into the practice that's the purpose of this whole series is designed around practical practical things things that we can do to do some spiritual recovery so i'd like it to close in prayer and then we'll do our sending prayer as well but think in your mind where will you go this week to begin to recenter purpose what's the time that you can have with the lord to begin recovering some things give it a thought and i will close us in prayer Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we start imagining and making these appointments in our minds, I pray that you would help clear a path so that more of us today can be centered upon the purpose in which you give us, the real core things that we need to focus on, so that the stress and strain of this world will not, help, will not sway us from what is true and what is good. But we can show up in those places as leaders, as people who bring goodness, as people who bring your love. So give us that strength today. And we go forth from today knowing that you've empowered us. that We don't have to live in fear of things around us, but we walk in your presence. So thank you. In the, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So let's stand together. We'll have this up again after the service, some questions to consider. But let's state say our sending prayer. Loving God through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. Amen.